Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Government funding for the annual secondary school Shakespeare Festival Sheila Wynn is not to be, with Creative New Zealand cutting its funding after 10 years. Reaction has been swift and brutal, particularly on social media. Shakespeare has been cancelled, some have said. Others said this will be laid at the feet of the government. Others said, oh, we get to have F-Boy Island, but not Shakespeare. Shakespeare talks about human nature. It's not something it dates. It was a distinctly un-Shakespearean drama. But all's well that ends well. The Ministry of Education intends to reach out to the Shakespeare uh, Globe Centre uh, to work with them to find a solution that ensures that the programme will continue to be offered. Nonetheless, this whole saga did throw up some interesting ideas. From the role of Shakespeare in 2022 to what decolonising art actually means to how our artists and writers and playwrights are funded and who gets what. So today on The Detail, Massey University Senior Lecturer and Shakespeare Expert Dr Hannah August on this most unfortunate comedy of errors. Now, there's a lot of what you might generously call misreporting of what actually went on in this story. So I began by asking Hannah August to outline the facts for us. As I understand it, there has recently been a a major Creative New Zealand funding round. Uh, Creative New Zealand um, is a body that is um, separate from the government, is is given funding that it then uh, allocates in a number of different contestable funding rounds to arts organisations and individual artists around Aotearoa. Some of the the pots in the rounds are bigger than than others and one of the big rounds, uh, results of that have just been announced and one of the things that was announced was that the Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand, which is an organisation that's been around for several decades and um, has been running throughout that time the Sheila Wynn Shakespeare Festival, which um, I was involved with as a team, perhaps you were as well. I think they say that 140,000 uh, rangatahi have been involved with it um, since since its inception. Um, so it's, it's a big deal. It's something that many um, high school kids in New Zealand would uh, be involved with. Uh, they run that. They have a relatively large operating budget to run that, and they applied for funding equivalent to about a tenth of that operating budget, um, I think about $30,000, and uh, they had received this money from the Kahikatea funding pot in the in the past, but uh, this year their, their funding application was declined. And then suddenly things kind of went crazy um, because this got picked up in the media as the cancellation of the entire festival. Creative New Zealand funding was axed for a Shakespeare competition. Creative New Zealand's decision to pull its funding from a popular secondary school Shakespeare festival is becoming a well, a bit of a Shakespearean tragedy in its own right. Which um, I think would have been quite a big deal and, and would have been sort of perhaps not 
not worthy of some of the rhetoric that has eventuated, but certainly, you know, I would have wanted to make a fuss about it. But that wasn't, in fact, what what was being proposed. Um, what what was being proposed was decreasing the funding by this percentage. Shakespeare's Globe Centre New Zealand have since started a, a give a little um, crowdfunding page, which is pulling in donations from kind of alumni and supporters. They will make up that shortfall. Um, actually, you know, since I started prepping for this interview, the Prime Minister has even stepped and said, oh, well, actually, the, the Ministry of Education can um, can step up and cover that shortfall. So, mm. you know, they, they've had no trouble um, dealing to that unfunding, but the conversation around it has been blown completely out of proportion. There's been quite a lot of misreporting, as I say, in terms of, you know, implying that the entire festival was being cancelled. And people have kind of jumped up and down for the past few days saying, oh, we're cancelling Shakespeare in New Zealand. Um, and that's, that's not what's happening. Shakespeare's not going away anytime soon. <laughs> He's a cultural juggernaut. He doesn't need public funding, as Sam Brooks kind of eloquently wrote on the spin-off. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of people have got very hot under the collar about it. That's a point it pays to emphasise. To the best of our knowledge, the future of the Sheilawin Festival was never actually under threat. Dawn Sanders, the legendary boss of the organisation that applied for the funding, Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand, said... I asked for 110000 because I wanted succession planning. I want proper EA so I don't have to work the insane number of 65 hours a week that I do at the moment or more. And so to share that workload with part of the whole application as well. So the 30, 31000 that we had last three years was only a part of the whole amount needed. To be clear, this is a fair enough thing for Dawn to want. And we should say, her work is highly respected by many in the theatre community in Aotearoa. But this funding was not specifically to put on the Sheila Wynn Festival. Yet many, including many media organisations, as we just heard, were happy to overlook that. Why? Well... It might have something to do with the reasoning given by Creative New Zealand for turning down the funding application. In releasing that decision, Creative New Zealand has said things like Shakespeare basically is a canon of imperialistic work that doesn't reflect New Zealand well, blah, blah, blah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Creative New Zealand ruled the bar is, quote, located within a canon of imperialism and simply isn't relevant for decolonising Aotearoa. When you apply to Creative NZ for funding, you have to submit, you know, an application. CNZ then contracts external assessors, experts, who assess those applications and they provide guidance and recommendations to Creative NZ. Following a panel discussion about the merits of the different applications, CNZ then makes a call on what projects receive what funding. When the Shakespeare Globe Centre's application was denied, a handful of quotes from one assessor justifying that decision to cut the funding made their way into the media. These comments have definitely been cherry-picked as far as I can tell from the longer reports that the assessors of the uh, Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand's funding application um, would have written. That's worth bearing in mind. We don't know the full context in which they were made. So these peer assessors, uh, the quotations that have been picked out and kind of thrown around in the media, 
that Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand's application, um, and it's, it's worth bearing in mind again that this is the application that's being assessed. It's not kind of the, the sum total of the work that they've done over the past 30 years. It's how they've represented the, um, the effects and the benefits of that work um, in the application that they've made. So it did not demonstrate the relevance to the contemporary art context of Aotearoa in this time and place and landscape and um, went on to say that Shakespeare is located within a canon of imperialism um, and the Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand misses the opportunity to create a living curriculum and show relevance Um, and they further questioned whether Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand is is most relevant for a decolonising Aotearoa in the 2020s and beyond. And so I think um, there are some interesting things within those comments that have contributed to what, you know, people have had their noses put out of joint by. What on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing seeking advice on a project like this from someone who is so delusional as to look at Shakespeare in a context of colonialism? I feel like that's the whole point of why we perform Shakespeare to modernise it and customise our performance to fit our own themes and ideas into them, not these ones of colonial and imperialistic demeanour. The thing that interests me, actually, we'll come to the canon of imperialism and the and the decolonisation in a minute, but the thing that interests me the most is this insistence on relevance. I think we're sort of, we've bought into this, this cult of relevance um, across a variety of different um, arenas. Certainly, uh, university and, and high school curriculums are often choosing texts based on their relevance. Um, the question is always relevant to whom and who decides what is relevant and and you know, the question that doesn't get asked often is, well, does something have to be relevant to be important? Is, is relevance the same as importance? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, something might not be relevant to us here in Aotearoa in 2022, but, you know, it could, it could still be really important. And so that's kind of one one thing, that insistence on relevance within those quotations that were picked out. But then I think the thing that uh, has stoked some somewhat unsightly fires, uh, these references to Shakespeare being located within a, a canon of imperialism and also not being relevant to a to a decolonizing Aotearoa. I mean, Shakespeare certainly has been, like I'm, you know, I'm a Shakespeare scholar. I, I actually work on the history of how people have received Shakespeare over the over the past four centuries. And um, and that reception history is, is really interesting. I mean, this idea of Shakespeare as the bard of Avon, England's national poet, things like that. I mean, that wasn't something that um, existed in, in Shakespeare's lifetime, for instance. It was um, uh, posthumously constructed in a variety of ways, um, some of which we might consider to be sort of insidious and some of which do kind of intersect with the um, the colonial project a bit later on. Um, so certainly in the past, I think that idea that Shakespeare is located within a canon of imperialism actually isn't that far from the mark. But I, th- I would question to what extent that holds true 
today, I would say that actually Shakespeare's sort of broken free <laughs> from, from his kind of colonial tethers and has just become this global brand. Uh, Shakespeare is, is being performed across the world every day in countries that um, were former colonizers, were formerly colonized, had nothing to do with um, a colonial project, um, you know, being performed in a variety of different languages by a variety of different cultures. I wondered whether some of the people who got a bit uh, anxious about the use of this language and the the idea of cancelling Shakespeare um, were actually worried about us here in Aotearoa no longer being part of that global performance tradition um, rather than um, kind of thinking about those direct sort of colonial links between England and Aotearoa. And then, you know, to come to that idea of... um, of decolonization, I think this is a word and a term that people still feel kind of uncomfortable about. Um, they don't quite know what it means, what it means in practice. I'm not sure that when it comes to the arts industry that we've really had a sort of wide-ranging um, collective discussion about what it means and what it could mean in terms of Creative New Zealand's remit to to fund art made here. I um, I think if you were to kind of step back and think broadly about their remit, remit you might say, well, yes, I think this is in keeping with a, a decolonizing project, but actually uh, that term and its cognates don't appear anywhere within the organization's kind of um, uh, vision and values documents available on, on their website. So, I think there's a lack of understanding or just even a lack of consensus about what that term means and whether there is a space for for Shakespeare um, within a a decolonizing Aotearoa or or not. Um, And I I think that possibly people didn't agree with the assessors kind of offering an opinion about that. It is very easy to get sort of you know misty eyed and um, and and abstract when when people talk about Shakespeare and and you know themes of universality and um, truisms about the human condition and so on and so forth. But Sean Plunkett did an interesting interview with uh, Stephen Wainwright from Creative NC uh, a couple of days ago, and he made an observation, Sean Plunkett, that I thought was interesting. He said, "I think Shakespeare's more than an English playwright. I think like Picasso or Beethoven." I think that his art and his contribution to drama and the idea of dramatic storytelling is universal. I think he transcends Englishness utterly and completely. I'd say Shakespeare transcends the petty nationalistic boundaries in the history of New Zealand in many, many ways. Without wishing to get too romantic about it, he does, he does have a point there, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I am always very frustrated by arguments for for Shakespeare's universality and um, the ability to speak across borders and things like that, because part of what interests me as a Shakespeare academic is, in fact, kind of the particularities of historical difference within within the plays and, um, you know, what's kind of weird and wonderful and um, foreign about them. But it's quite clear that um, theatre makers the world over find something in Shakespeare's plays that that speak to them within their cultures.
A theatre group in South Auckland is using classic English literature to break down negative stereotypes surrounding Māori and Pacifica people. Their version of Macbeth is set in an imagined Hawaii with themes drawn from all Polynesian cultures using dance, costumes and music. I'm currently writing a, a new introduction for Romeo and Juliet and um, that's a play that has a really strong performance history in all sorts of locations where there are cultural clashes. Um, the Montagues and the Capulets um, within that play are often cast within a particular production as families that belong to the two opposing cultures that, that inhabit a particular geographical space. There was a very famous Romeo and Juliet in Baghdad about 10 years ago in which they were respectively Sunni and Shia families. This is not a romantic text. This is very tragic text. I said we was very bad people. We have very bad problem when the conflict beginning between Al-Sunnah and Al-Shia. You see productions of Romeo and Juliet in Israel, Israel and Palestinian families. Those global themes do get translated into the local um, quite happily. And, you know, and to be fair, that's the sort of thing that um, does happen within the, the Sheila Wynn Festival as well, as you see groups of, of young kids kind of finding the resonances to their own cultural milieus and, and backgrounds and, and putting their own takes on on this body of work that I think more than anything else, that you, with all of the stuff that it's also been freighted with along the way, one thing that has happened is that it's kind of metamorphosed into this thing where you can stamp your own take on it. You, you know, Shakespeare more than any other playwright kind of licenses you to interpret him and the way that you want to. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of a magical thing, actually. You know, one of the things that this big backlash kind of reminded me of was the RNZ concert f- fiasco. It struck me that maybe there is a thing that's going on here, which is this fear from from some people that in the artistic sphere there is too much change and that New Zealand work is being put on a, a pedestal and that that oxygen is coming at the expense of what these people might perceive to be great cornerstones of of Western art. That things like like Shakespeare and you know Beethoven and stuff are being written off as white man colonialist art and are therefore by definition bad or irrelevant. Um, I don't think there's any merit to it. I certainly think it's kind of out there in the. In the ether, I think the nuance that needs to be applied is, you know, what type of art are we talking about meriting public funding? Because, you know, (laughs) Shakespeare's going to keep on going. Um, You look at the example of the the pop-up globe, um, which was very financially successful up until COVID just scuppered all live theatre and didn't, as far as I know, receive any public funding. And so, you know, those dead white men don't necessarily need that that public funding. And I wish that we could introduce that kind of nuance into it. Mm. I mean, and, and if you're going to say that they do, I mean, that's when it sort of starts to become racist dog whistling possibly is when you start to say, oh, no, they are just as deserving of of that kind of funding as people who just kind of wouldn't get a leg up in those industries otherwise. And really, it just comes down to the fact that we don't fund the arts well enough in this country. And CNZ's um, 
kind of overall pot of funding that it's had to play around with um, has has reduced this year. This is partly why cuts are being made um, and people are missing out in in both the kahikatea funding round and, and other arts funding rounds. I mean, what we really need to have is not a... I wish we weren't having a conversation about who deserves, who's best, who's, you know, which, which playwright's best. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wish we were having a conversation about what do we value in terms of an artistic ecosystem? Um, how do we value not just art as a kind of nebulous thing, but the people who make that art? You know, it's, it's artists who have to be able to have enough money in their pockets to pay for their escalating rents and to put dinner on the table. And um, I think that's the conversation I would have liked to see us having over the past week or so is, you know, a conversation about the amount that we levy in taxes in this country, for instance, which is what kind of, you know, alongside the lottery's funding, which is problematic in a different way. But, um, you know, you want to publicly fund something, you've got to uh, get the revenue from somewhere, normally taxation. We don't have a wealth tax. We don't have a capital gains tax. We don't have an inheritance tax. You know, there are just so many wider and more nuanced issues that kind of are lying beneath the surface of, oh goodness, we can't possibly cancel the quote unquote greatest poet in the in the English language, which was never the debate that should have happened in the first place. The, the news came in that the saga has now been brought to, from the Shakespeare Globe Centre's point of view, a, a happy ending. The government's going to come to the party and it's going to, you know, top up that $30,000 that they... Um, yeah, I just for. want to say, Emil, that I think that sets a really bad precedent, <laughs> by yeah. the way. I think the idea that public outcry based on misinformation could cause the Prime Minister to step in um, and and kind of offer extra funding um, when someone's been unsuccessful in a in a contestable funding bid. I don't know. Do we really want to be doing that? Looking to the sort of mid to long term, what, what do you hope comes from all of this? I guess I hope two things. I mean, I hope that some of the journalism that sort of fed the misinformation that kind of led to everybody getting up on their high horse about the so-called cancellation of Shakespeare. I hope that there's some reflection in terms of the the inaccuracies of that reporting and kind of what it led to and the dangers of that. That's that's one thing I'd like to see. I'd also like to see a yeah wider conversation about um, what we might mean by decolonizing the arts um, and and what that looks like in a conversation that includes people that perhaps feel anxious about that term or or not as kind of clued up on uh, on some of the the theory around it and so that we could we could think about what the place of um, Shakespeare and and other writers was going forward um, and um, you know is is this something that is going to recur this kind of conversation should it recur I hope not in quite this way can we come to some sort of uh, clearer understanding of what type of uh, arts industry and, and arts ecosystem we're hoping to have in the place of of English writers within it that doesn't involve everybody just sort of chucking their reckons on, on this bonfire that has been burning so brightly for the past few days. That's what I'd like to see. On Tuesday, Creative NZ issued a statement on this whole saga. It pointed out that it has limited budget and has to make tough decisions. 
And when push came to shove, the Shakespeare Globe Centre's application just wasn't as strong as some others. The statement also says, Creative New Zealand does not hate Shakespeare. We support Shakespeare productions and we support Shakespeare being in schools. We simply can't meet the demand for our funding and hard decisions need to be made. So, there we are. As you like it. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Dr. Hannah August. Matewa. Thank you.